If you turn to Luke chapter 15 and John chapter 7, you can pick one of those, uh, one of those two. Today, I, I, at the start of the year, the last time we were here, uh, we kind of come up every right around the 4th of July. And I think, I, I think we were here last 4th of July, on the, and I led worship on the Sunday where the governor said that we're not allowed to sing anymore. So that was fun. That was something that happened. <laughs> and um, that's, that, that's one we'll never forget. But at the start of uh, 2021, I was, I was praying, I was asking the Lord, Lord, what do you have for, uh, for me, for our church uh, this year? And I kind of asked the Lord with some, some nervousness because 2020 was so wonderful. I thought, what could the Lord have in store for 2021? And he put on my heart that it was a year of grace. It was a year of grace. And how many know after last year, we could all use a little bit more grace this year? Amen. All right, well, I mean, this, there's going to be a participation award at the end of service. So just, 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 want, uh, just, uh, just so you know, we all want everyone to get a trophy. And so, uh, but it's a, year, it's a year of grace. And, you know, and it's really what it is, is it, it's grace to build. Grace to build and to build his kingdom. In Zechariah chapter four, and you know it's the word of the Lord when it comes out of the minor prophets in the Old Testament. In Zechariah chapter four, it says this, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. Who are you, O great mountain? You shall become a plain and you will finish the work with shouts of grace, grace. That what God wants to do in you and what he wants to do through you happens because of his spirit and happens because of his grace working through you. And so I asked a question and I said, Lord, what are the things that make somebody who is a builder of the kingdom? What are, what are the characteristics uh, of, of, and the identity of people who build your kingdom? How many say I'm a candidate to build the kingdom of God? Amen. Amen. Again, participation award and we're, it's okay. I mean, if the sermon's so good that you're already asleep, just wake, gently wake the person up next to you. And so it's become, I felt like the Lord gave me five things and five places of identity that God wants each one of us to know about ourselves. Five places, five things that, that are fundamental, foundational uh, stones, foundational cornerstones in our life as we build the kingdom of God. And we know that we're supposed to do that because Jesus, when he taught his disciples to pray, he said, when you pray, pray this way. Our Father who's in heaven, holy is your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So five things we need to know, every one of us needs to know about our walk with the Lord, about what God wants to do in our lives. How many are ready? Yes. Yeah. Oh, look at that. We've, we're all away. Praise God. So number one, the first is I am found. Everyone say, I am found. I am. We, all, we all sing the song. We all know the song. We were once lost, but now we are found. How many are thankful that you've been found by Jesus. Amen. In Luke chapter 15, Jesus tells three parables about uh, illustrating this, 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 this picture. And the first is, is about the lost sheep. It says this, what man of you having a hundred sheep loses one, but does not leave the 99 in the wilderness to go after the one which was lost until he finds it. And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors and says, rejoice with me for I have found the sheep, which I, which was lost. Last summer, uh, we, did, we did a family vacation, and we like to go to the different national parks. And so we went to a really popular one. It's called Capitol Reef. Anyone ever heard of it? Yeah, I didn't think so. And so to get there, you go to the middle of Utah, 
and you go into the middle of nowhere, Utah, and then you keep driving about another 90 minutes, and then you get to this national park. And one of the reasons I like, uh, I, I like going around the national parks is, is that everything's kind of well-planned, and so just like an average Joe like me, it, it's hard to get lost, it's hard to do anything that's too dangerous, so it's, it's safe for the family. And so the most popular hike at that national park is called Cassidy Arch. And it's this, it's this sandstone arch on top of a cliff that you can hike up to. It's about three miles. And apparently that's where Butch Cassidy, back in the day, hit all his banditos and out in the middle of nowhere. And so three miles was a little aggressive for, uh, for my whole family. We have five children. And you would say, what are you thinking? I say, I don't know. And so... Uh, the, uh, and so I, I took my two oldest kids, uh, who were 12 and 10 at the time. We drove out there early one morning. It was about 7 o'clock, and we started this, started this hike. And, it's, and again, the national parks, when you start out on a, on a trail in a national park, it's well-marked. There's, there, it's very clear the way you're to go. And so we, we kind of walk through this canyon, and then we start going up this cliff. We're doing the switchbacks, and we kind of get to this one part where we start to walk out. And, and I'm, as we're walking, I realize... The trail, it's a little closer to the edge of the cliff than I'm accustomed to in a national park. And I'm like, oh, that's interesting. It's a little, maybe a little more adventurous. And there were some kind of bigger rocks in the, in the way, and we kind of jumped over those. And, and we came, came to a place, and there was a, there was a tree that had fallen down over, over the path. And so we're climbing up over this tree, still noticing that the trail's a little bit closer to the side of the cliff than I'm accustomed to. But I thought, this is... It's a national park. I mean, these rangers come out and they cut these really well-marked trails. So average Joes like me don't get lost. And so we keep going over there and my kids are saying, dad, dad, I, I don't think this is the right way. I said, I'm like a walking GPS. <laughs> I'm, I've never been lost in my life. And I just, just trust me, we are in a well-marked trail in a national park. There's nothing to worry about. And so we came to the end of this trail and the trail ended right at the end of the cliff. And the sandstone arch was nowhere to be found. And I turn to my kids and I say, guys, I, th I think we're lost. I think we're, I think we're lost. And the reality is, is it took me about 45 minutes to realize that we had wandered off the trail. We had been lost that entire 45 minutes. Um, but you're not found until you recognize that you're lost. And, and here, here we are, you know, and, Spoiler alert, we made it back alive. And so, the, <laughs> thank the Lord. And, and so, but there comes a point in each one of our lives and that this first, this first place is that to be found by Jesus, we have to recognize that we need to be found by him. And he is so faithful to search after our hearts. He's so faithful to go after us. And in fact, in that passage in Luke 15, he leaves the 99 to go after the one. And that shows the in inherent value of you that he searches after and, and, and pushes after to find, to find you. You are worth the effort. And when he comes and he finds you, it's such a beautiful picture of the good shepherd who takes that sheep and puts it on his shoulders and brings, it, brings him, uh, that sheep back into community. The Lord, how many know, he puts us on his shoulders and brings us into a place of safety and a blink, brings us into a place of foundness. We're no longer lost, but we're found. And how many are thankful for that? Amen. Well, you know, I've, I found a video that really illustrated just the beauty of the Good Shepherd who, who rescues us. And I'd, I'd like to play it now. 
and, and we will be up on the screen. There's no sound to this video, so I'll narrate it. And we see this shepherd boy who's found his sheep. And you know, the Lord finds us when we're in hard places. He finds this sheep and look at that, look at that sheep. Oh, so happy, so free to run and, oh my, oh, oh no, oh no. That, that's terrible. Let's, 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 let's see if they'll, let's see if they'll show that in slow motion right here. Yeah, there it is. That's like Friday night and now it's Sunday. And see, I, let's, just, let's just watch it one more time. Here, here you're here on a Sunday. Pastor James giving the message, you're feeling down. And you just leave church and you're just ready to go for the week, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Oh no, there it is. How many can say that that accurately describes your walk with the Lord at times, all right? How many know that the Lord is faithful to find us? He's faithful to rescue us out of that ditch, but the beauty of the gospel is he doesn't leave us there. How many are thankful for that? He doesn't leave us in that ditch. And so number one is I am found. Number two is I am healed. I am healed. God doesn't just find us to leave us in that broken state. God doesn't find us to leave us destitute on the side of the road. He brings us into a place of restoration. In Luke chapter four, Jesus talks about what the essence of his ministry is going to be. In Luke four, Jesus is just beginning his ministry. He's just come out of the wilderness and he stands up in the synagogue on, on, a, on a, I was gonna say a Sunday morning, but I'm pretty sure it wasn't Sunday. He said on the Sabbath day, and he pulls out the scroll out of, out of Isaiah and he reads this prophecy, Luke chapter, uh, chapter four, verse 17. He says, uh, says this, and Jesus, uh, and put, put, picture this in your mind's eye. Jesus stands up on, on the Sabbath day. He pulls out the scroll and he reads this. He says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me and he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed and to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. This is what Jesus said about himself at the beginning of his ministry, that this is what he has come to do. This is what he has called to do. And then he closes the scroll and he turns to everyone who is present and says, today, this is fulfilled in your hearing. Today, this is happening. Today, this is available to you. And what an incredible truth that not only was it, was it true for the people listening to Jesus's voice 2,000 years ago, but it's true for us this very day. Today, all of that is fulfilled in your hearing. So Jesus promises that, that the, the gospel will go forth and that as the gospel go, goes forth, the gospel is holistic. It transforms every aspect of our life. As you read through that, that list, he's preach the gospel to the poor. And that poor isn't monetarily poor. It's, it's those who have never heard the word. And you may be here today and never have heard the word of the Lord today, never heard the message uh, of the gospel. Today's your day to begin the first of these five steps to be found by Jesus Christ. And the, it says that he's come to heal the brokenhearted. He's come to set at liberty those who are oppressed set at liberty those who are prisoners. What's the difference between those two? The, those who are oppressed is, is things that people have done to you and have, have hurt and oppressed you. A prisoner is, you go to prison for something that you've done to yourself. The Lord's come to bring freedom to both of those things. Not only has he come to heal the brokenhearted, he's come to heal the things that people have done to you. He's come to heal the people, the things that you have done to yourself. He's come to give recovery of sight to the blind that even your physical body can be brought back into a place of restoration, a place of miracle, a, a place of healing by the Lord. And that, and that he says, today, this is available to you. 
Today, this is available to you. The reality of the gospel is that God doesn't just find us in the midst of our brokenness and leave us broken, but a good shepherd takes that, takes that sheep, puts it on his shoulders, brings it back, brings it back into a place of community and allows there to be a healing, a transformational work that is done. And it's a holistic work. He's, he comes to transform our mind. He comes to transform, heal our bodies. He comes to transform the broken heart. The shame of yesterday doesn't have, to inf- doesn't have to be a cloud over you in the future. Our yesterdays are under the cross and we live as a new creation in Christ Jesus. How many would say amen to that? Amen. There's, this, there's this place that, that God brings us to a place of healing. God brings us to a place of healing because he wants to remind us that he is a supernatural God who wants to meet us in our natural world. And that there's this, this transformation that can only happen by the spirit of God that he wants to do in your life. So we come to these, these truths that number one, we're found. Say, I am found. Amen. Second thing is that I am healed. I'm gonna say, I am healed. Amen. Number three is that God doesn't just find us and heal us to allow us to just, you know, be this restored, uh, the, the, this, this restored person without a task to do. I don't know if you've ever, in San Diego, the, the car restoration is kind of a big deal. And you know how I many you know if you have that, that, that old 50s car that you fully restored, it just gets parked in the garage. You know, it, it gets brought out on special occasions, but it, it just is covered up and parked in the garage. God never designed our faith to be restored and then parked in the garage. And number three is this, I am called. Everyone say, I am called. I'm called. God calls each one of us into a place of ministry. That's why he's brought you into a place of healing. That's why he's brought you into a place of, of restoration. In Ephesians chapter two, uh, verse 10, says this. It says, we are God's workmanship. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. That word workmanship can also be translated masterpiece. You are not just the workmanship of God, but you are the masterpiece of God. And that, that when he comes and he finds us and he comes and he brings us into a place of healing, we, he is bringing us and restoring us to be the masterpiece he had always intended you to be. And not only is that masterpiece there as, 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 as uh, this place of restoration, but he then says, I've called you, I have a plan and a purpose for your life. I've literally called you into the ministry. See, I think one of the lies of the adversary is that ministry is reserved for those handsome guys that just stand up here on the stage. <laughs> Guilty. <laughs> and, but the reality is, the reality is, is that God calls every one of us into the ministry. In, 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 the, in the book of uh, 1 Peter, it describes us that we are a royal priesthood, a chosen generation, every one of us is called to be somebody who is living into the plan and purpose that God has for our lives. We are his workmanship. We are his masterpiece. Why? For the good works that he has prepared for us through Christ Jesus. Going back to that Zechariah chapter four passage, that word of the Lord where it says, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord, you're gonna finish the work that I've called you to do with shouts of grace said that in the beginning. I know you were all paying attention and you would never forget any point in a sermon ever. I know, I know that's, that's never happened to me. Um, I sometimes have a dry sense of humor in case you were wondering. And so, 
But that word in, in, in Zechariah chapter 4 was given to a man named Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel was called uh, and tasked to rebuild the temple in Jerusalem. And as the word of the Lord came to Zerubbabel in Zechariah chapter 4, he had been working on rebuilding the temple for 15 years. And after 15 years, he had accomplished nothing. All right? So he's doing real good. And how many know that sometimes our lives can look like that? That you have a call, you have a dream, you have a vision, you have a hope that the Lord has put in your heart that hasn't come to fruition yet. And, and you, can, you can wonder and say, well, was that really the Lord? Is that really a hope and a dream? Is, that, is the Lord really calling me to do that? Well, Zerubbabel had to be wondering that same thing. And after 15 years, having done nothing, the word of the Lord came to him and said, Zerubbabel, not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. The hopes and the dreams that God has put in, your, in you, the vision and the talent and, the, and the, the gifting that he has put in you is activated by the spirit of God. And when that Holy Spirit comes upon us, the work gets done because of his spirit and because of his grace. When that, that verse comes and says, oh, great mountain before Zerubbabel, you shall become a plain. The application of that is twofold. One, the hurdles, the mountains in front of us have no authority when we are empowered by the spirit of the Lord. In fact, Jesus says to his disciples, pray for that mountain to be moved and it will be moved. Amen. And, but for Zerubbabel, that mountain wasn't a physical mountain. It was literally a mountain of rubble. If you can imagine in your mind's eye back in those ancient days when everything's built of, of, of stone and stacked up, you know, an army comes in and destroys that. If you've ever seen a building that's been destroyed, that building doesn't just disappear. That building is just a mound of rubble. But the rubble that, that Zerubbabel, which fantastic name, I'm going to name our sixth kid Zerubbabel, and that mountain in front of Zerubbabel, that mountain wasn't a, 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 a physical mountain. It was the mountain of all of the work he needed to do. It was the mountain of all of the rubble of what the temple used to be. And sometimes the hurdles in our life are, are, is the devastation of yesterday. And it can look overwhelming to say, I don't know if I can work through what has happened in my past. I don't know if I can work through the destruction of yesterday. But the word of the Lord to him was that not only will you work through it, but when you step back and look at all that I have done, you will recognize that it was only by my spirit and only by my grace. And God today for us, we can, we, so often we can hold back in taking that step of faith forward because the mountain looks big. And the Lord says, you begin to take one piece of that mountain and you put it where it belongs. Because you know that Zerubbabel rebuilt the temple with the rocks of the devastation of what was left behind. He wasn't going to get new rocks. He was, he was rebuilding with, with the mess that was in front of him. And so it is with our lives that God rebuilds in us, using the hurts of yesterday to, to build up his kingdom in us today so that he calls us into the ministry. He calls us to a place of, of, of activation, a place of faith to say, that hurdle in front of you, that hurdle in front of you, does not inform your future. In fact, that hurdle in front of you will be built into what I call it to be. And it's, it's only by his grace. How many would say amen to that? Amen. amen. So we come to a place where we recognize that, one, we're found. We're no longer lost, but we're found. Number two, that not only are we found, but we are healed. Not only are we healed, but we're also called. 
calls us each into the ministry. And number four, he doesn't just call us into the ministry to leave us, to leave us without the resources to, to accomplish what he, uh, he calls us to. And so that number four is, I am blessed. Everyone say, I am blessed. I am blessed. How many like to be blessed? And we're blessed, to, we're blessed to be a blessing. And, you know, how many know that the Lord is abundant in his blessing to us? You know, one scoop of ice cream is good, but do you know what's better? Two scoops. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> All right. And so, I, you know, I used to, I used to I, I've given that example with Raisin Bran, you know, the two scoops of raisins, but then you realize that Raisin Bran never is a blessing. <laughs> and so, um, <laughs> Amen. <laughs> So we come to this place where we, we are blessed. We, we are blessed. We are a blessed people. How many know that, that the scripture says that we are called to this moment for such a time as this? And if you've been called to this moment, at this time of history, we are incredibly blessed. We live in, hands down, the greatest time in all of history. How many are thankful for air conditioning this week? Amen. Amen. Amen to that. And again, you, if you look at all of the modern, the, the modern blessings that we live with, I mean, at no time in history have, has there been a people as blessed as we are. Not only do we live in the time of history to take advantage of that, but we live in the greatest nation in the history of the world. We are blessed beyond measure. Not only that, not only that, but we've come to a place of faith in Jesus Christ. And there's a blessing, not just of our, that he's called us to this place at this time for this moment, but then as, as Ephesians chapter one talks about that we are blessed with every spiritual blessing. Paul, it's interesting, Paul writes to the church at Ephesus. And if you know about the church of Ephesus, you knew that they had their act together. Sometimes when Paul is writing letters in the New Testament, he's writing to churches that are just dumpster fires. And that's a Greek word um, to say 1 Corinthians. And so, and, but and when Paul writes to Ephesus, this is a healthy church. This is, a, a, this is a church that is doing, well, actually, if you have your Bible, turn to Ephesians chapter one. I haven't had you turn, or actually, I've had you turn somewhere, but we, we didn't read anything uh, except on the screen. In Ephesians chapter one, it says right there in verse 15, therefore I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints. I do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in, uh, making mention of you in my prayers. This is a healthy church. This is a church that Paul is thankful for. And then this is his prayer. And the prayer that Paul prays here is a prayer for believers in a healthy church, in, 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 a, in a mature church. And that his prayer is this, I pray that the eyes of your understanding, being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of his glory, uh, of the inheritance in the saints. So Paul is saying, I am praying for you. You are a mature, healthy church. You understand, you understand things, but there's a place where I would want your eyes to be opened even more to know not just the hope of his calling, but the riches of his inheritance. How many know that if we had a, an incredibly wealthy relative, we would want the eyes of our understanding to know who that relative was, right? <laughs> Especially if they had recently passed away. And <laughs> Oh, that's terrible, but we would want the eyes of our understanding to be enlightened. How much more so, if in the earthly realm, that would be the case, how much more so in the spiritual realm, where we are sons and daughters of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, and that we sit, we sit with, with the full availability of the kingdom of God, with the full, with the full access to the, the riches of the glory 
of the Lord. And Paul is saying, I would want you to understand to the level that you understand now, it's more. You're blessed now, but there's even more. And as believers, we recognize that we are, we are blessed to be a blessing. And that promise was given to Abraham in the book of Genesis. We, Hebrews talks about that we are the descendants of Abraham, that, we, that the promise to him was that all the nations of the world through you will be blessed. And that we live that out as believers, living in the power of God, living in his kingdom, being a blessing to the world around us. So let's ask the question, how are we blessed? How are we blessed? And I think the two, the two things I would want to primarily show us today is that we are blessed with his word, that we are blessed with his word that gives us clear, clear boundaries, clear direction. We know in the book of Psalms that it says that his word is a lamp into our feet and a light into our path. We see in, the, in John chapter one that he is the word became flesh and that the darkness does not overcome the word. And that the word living in you allows us to be a light in the midst of the world around us. But not only is, is, there, is there the word, but we're also blessed with the spirit that empowers us to live out the call and equips us to live out all that God has for us. In fact, it says in the, in the book of John, John 14, that when Jesus uh, is talking to his disciples, he says, listen guys, I'm going to leave. I'm going to go back to the, back to the father but I'm not going to leave you orphans. I'm not gonna leave you destitute, I'm gonna leave you blessed, and I'm gonna give you the Holy Spirit, and greater things will you do because of the Spirit of God in you. He gives us the word, he gives us the spirit. And so we come to this place where we recognize that I'm found in Jesus Christ. And not only are we found, but we're not found to just be broken on the side of the road. He brings us into a place of healing. And you may, today, you may be in a place where there's an area of your life that needs that, that, that supernatural healing that can come from the hand of God. And so whatever it is, whether it's a broken heart, whether it's a broken body, whether it's something that you have done, whether it's something that has been done to you, the Lord has healing waiting for you, and today it's available. So not only do, are we found, but we're healed, and we're healed because we're called. We're called to go build the kingdom of God, and he empowers us with his spirit to build his kingdom. And number four, not only are we called to build his kingdom, but every resource needed to build his kingdom is available to us. We are blessed with his spirit. Number five is this, is that, is that I, the fifth thing that I would want us to understand today is that I am revival. I am revival. It's in the book of John, chapter seven, where Jesus says this, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. If you've walked with the Lord for any length of time, there's been a place where you have prayed that for revival, whether it's revival in you, whether it's revival in your family, community, that there would be a unique work of God, a work of his grace that would flow into, into your situation. How many have ever prayed a prayer like that before? I believe that in this time, that the Lord is looking for people who aren't just praying for revival, but are, are that revival themselves. That they come and they drink of the living water of God and they allow that living water to transform them and hear the promise of scriptures that from them will flow rivers of living water. In John chapter seven, I want you to see this, see this picture. It's, it's during one of the feasts the Feast of Tabernacles. The Feast of Tabernacles was the celebration every year where the Jews would remember that God was faithful to them in the wilderness. 
He was faithful to them with the pillar of cloud, the pillar of fire. He was faithful to them with manna. He was faithful to them with water. You may, you may know the stories where Moses prayed for water to come from the rock and water flowed out. The, the story where they came to this, this, this river that was literally called Mara, which means bad, bad water. They came to Lake Badwater, everyone's favorite vacation destination. And there was the miracle that made the bitter water sweet. And part of this celebration on the Feast of Tabernacles, it was, it was more than a week-long feast. It was, it was one of the highlights of the year. And what would happen is that the priests would go down and they would take a golden pitcher down to the, to the pool of Shiloh, which was right next to the Temple Mount. And they would take that pitcher and they would get a full pitcher of water and then they would bring it up to the Temple Mount. And you could imagine during this feast that there's people everywhere, everywhere. I mean, they've come into Jerusalem to celebrate this feast. And what the priests would do for seven days in a row is that they would take this full pitcher of water and they would pour it out over the altar. And in doing that, they were thanking the Lord and remembering that God gave them water in the wilderness. God gave them water when, in, during the dry times of their life. How many know that God is faithful to us in the wilderness seasons of our life? They did this seven days in a row. And then on the eighth day, the priests would come and they would pray. And and there would be no outpouring of water. They would pray and they would say, Lord, as you have brought us into the promised land, would there be water in this season of our life as well? It was on that eighth day when there is no water that's poured out that Jesus, if you look right here in John 7, verse 37, on the last day, that great day of the feast, this is the, the eighth day, the day that we're talking about, the day that no water's poured out. Jesus stood and he cried out. See, sometimes when Jesus, Jesus has these interactions in scripture, he's pulling his disciples aside and having a little private conversation, or maybe it's in a tax collector's home. No, no, this is the great day of the feast on the Temple Mount, everyone there. And Jesus stood up and he cried out. So every, I mean, if you can imagine, if you can imagine him crying out in front of the altar, and this is what he says, listen, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. What he's saying is that you guys have poured out water on this altar seven days in a row, remembering what God had done, but I am standing here right now as the living water, and this is, this is what you need to drink of now. And in fact, if you come to me, anyone who drinks will never thirst again. And in fact, not only will they never thirst again, but there will be rivers of living water pouring out of you. And that this place where Jesus is saying, listen, the prayers that you have been praying, I am the answer. I am the answer to the prayers that you have been praying. That that I'm literally standing here. I will be, Jesus would say of himself, I will be poured out like water for our salvation for as a sacrifice. I am the answer to the prayers that you have been praying. And anyone who comes, out of them will flow rivers of living water. What does that mean for us? It means that you are the answer to the prayer that you have been praying. You're the answer to the prayer for the prayer that you've been praying for your family, for your community, for your church. Because if you've come and drunk of the living water of Christ, then out of you will flow rivers of living water. And you may say, Pastor, how is that even possible? It's possible because of what Zachariah said. 
not by might nor by power, but by my spirit. And you will stand back and look what I have built through your life. And you can only say, it's because of his grace. It's because of his grace. God wants his grace to flow out of you. God wants his spirit to flow out of you. And as it does, it transforms the world and the situation around you. And so as we come to this place of saying, Lord, I want to be someone who builds the kingdom of God. I want to be somebody who is the answer to the prayers that are being prayed in my community. It happens because we allow the spirit of God to flow out of us. It happens because we recognize that we were lost, but now we're found. We were broken and now we're healed. We had no purpose and now we're called. We lived as an orphan, but now we're blessed. And because of that, I can be the, I can be the conduit of the flow of God into my community. How many would say, I'm a candidate for that today, amen? Let's stand together. As you stand, I'd like to pray for us.